16, starting in verse 1, Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancreia, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need for, from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord. We thank you for this word, and I thank you that we can have days where we come to the end of a book, and we can look back and, and say, we listened to your word. We read your word, and we heard your word proclaim and proclaimed, and we studied it, and we asked questions about it, and we applied it to our life 
today. And I pray that as we hear these words this morning, we wouldn't just hear a list of, of names or some closing comments and think there's nothing there for us. Instead, I pray that we would say, this is your word from your servant Paul to the church. And it has relevance and application for us today. And so I pray, Father, that we would write these things on our hearts. And that you, by the power of your spirit, would keep them before us. That you would encourage us and help us. That we would see something to strive toward, something to grow toward, something to grow into and to celebrate as we seek to arrive there. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness toward us. We thank you for giving us Jesus. And we pray your grace upon us as we study your word this morning. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I think that I have accidentally watched the credits to many films. You know, just they're just on, the movie's over, you know, the VHS tape is, is, is running out until it's going to rewind. We're talking about ancient history here, not recent history. Uh, it wasn't until uh, the Marvel films started coming out that you now all of a sudden you have a reason to pay attention to the credits because they have this last little scene of something that they're teasing or that's coming you know, in a, in a future film. And so now you have to sit through the credits and wait, you know, and there's a, there's a moment when the music changes or things get quieter and you know you're gonna get, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna get a bonus scene. And then uh, what happened was this culture developed of people staying after Marvel movies and they watched the credits. And so uh, then a bunch of people get up and leave after the scene is over and then they show the rest of the credits, you know. So what they would do sometimes is they'd show two scenes. You know, they'd add it so you had to watch all the credits. Here's I think this is motivated by two things. One, the fun of getting something extra and, and knowing what's coming. But also, I think that once somebody had this idea, they thought, we're going to add these things to every movie because we want the people to see our names. Right? Like, we worked on this film. We made this thing. And we want you to watch the credits. Right? There are the, the credits at the beginning of the movie that are, like, the big and important and powerful people. Right? the stars, the director, the producer, which is the guy with the money, right, who paid for the film prior to it being released. But you don't get that film made without all those teeny tiny names. They're the ones who are out there doing the work, right? You know, they're the guys, you know, you've got the gaffer who's like taping stuff down so people don't trip over it and you've got catering, and you've got trailers and hairstylists, and then you have hundreds of digital artists who work on these movies now. There are enormous numbers of people listed in those credits who make it go, right? Without whom, you don't get a movie. We could summarize this when we, when we think about teamwork and we think about Marriage, they say, behind every good man is what? A good woman, right? You know, nobody does anything really on their own, singularly. When we look at Romans chapter 16, 
what i find so interesting about this chapter is that there are a few things going on here as paul closes out the letter but but what resonates or or what leaps out to me is the fact that that paul has been talking about the church and he has been talking about the gospel the good news that that god made a way for sinners to be reconciled with him that though right first couple chapters though man is distant from god separated from him condemned for his sins god makes a way in christ for man to be reunited with him men and women can come to christ and say i am a sinner and i need righteousness and it comes by faith god gives it because of what christ has done and then we walk through these chapters of what god's grand plan is for all of history and all the benefits and blessings that he gives to human beings the way that we are made right with god and adopted by him and then there are a number of commands given to the church live this way be this act this out because you are in christ but then what we see in romans 16 is it's like the credits these are the people who are actually living it out who are living the gospel out together who have received the good news and who say yes to it and then work it out amongst themselves i find that this incredibly interesting what we what we see first is an introduction right the the way that this worked i believe was that paul wrote this letter we'll see that he actually didn't physically write it right um Somebody inserts their own name, I, in verse 22, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord, right? You wonder, was, was Paul like, hang on a minute, you know, and he grabbed a Kleenex and he sneezed, and Tertius was like, I'm going to write my name again. <laughs> I greet you in the Lord. Or, or did he say, we're almost done, right, Paul? And Paul's like, yeah, we're almost done. He's like, I can write my name, right? right? I, can, I can say hi to everybody. Um, but Paul sends this letter, and it's read in the church that it's sent to, and it's read in the churches. And it was probable that the person who carried this letter to Rome for Paul was there, making sure that it went from church to church and that it got read. And this person's name was Phoebe. So Paul introduces her. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancreia. She served the church. And so Paul is saying, this is our friend. This is your friend. She is your sister in Christ. And she has been a helper in the church. And so welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever she may need from you. She's been a patron of many and myself as well. Paul says that she's worthy of welcome and help. Why? Because one, she's a believer, and so therefore all of these brothers and sisters, this family in Rome that's meeting her as she goes from church to church, they are related in Christ, right? And so accept her as your sister, but also Paul says that she has been a servant to the church, and so she is welcome to them, and they ought to help her in whatever way they can she's been generous with her own resources and so they ought to be generous with her why do i think paul is introducing her like this she has come with this letter but she also probably had some kind of plan she had some reason for winding up in rome 
whether it was her own personal business or whether or not she was being sent as a missionary to that place to work among the people and to share the gospel. And so Paul says, support her and give her whatever she needs. Get her, get her feet underneath her. Help her get done what she wants to get done. She was generous. He says she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. That means that, that Paul knows that this is somebody who supported him and supported others in getting the gospel out. I think what's interesting here is as the credits start to roll, Paul starts this chapter focused on the main thing, right? He begins the book of Romans by saying, my name's Paul, and I preach this gospel. I share this message, and then he lists a number of things right there in chapter 1 that it was predicted in the scriptures, that it's the fulfillment of prophecy, that it's a message about the righteousness that we need, that we can't earn ourselves, that comes from God. And Paul says, I've been entrusted with this. I'm super excited about preaching it among the Gentiles, but I'm also going to preach it to you. Why? Because the gospel's a message. The good news about Jesus is a message that needs to be transmitted over and over and over and over and over again. It needs to be shared. That ought to be the cutting edge of what it is that we do, right? We ought to be making sure that we're not designing a church that meets all of our needs and focuses on what we want and what we need, but instead says we want to make sure that we are reaching out to other people and sharing with them and saying we love Jesus, we need him, and you need him too. Even if you don't know it, let's talk, let's introduce and so Paul begins focusing on the most important thing. He has mission-oriented thinking. Are we getting the job done? Are we getting the job done? The good news, I think, about where we stand as a church at present is we are getting the job done as far as our commitments go, right? People who we have said, hey, we'd like to have a church building. Can we borrow a bunch of money from you? And they said, yes, we are giving them the money back on the schedule that we promised. We are making sure that all of our bills are paid. When uh, a locksmith comes, which he did, if any of you had had trouble with your keys recently, and a locksmith come out, he looked at everything, touched things, pressed things, you know, did stuff, locksmith stuff that I don't understand, right? And then he explained to me exactly what was going on. It's this and that. And I'm like, uh, you know, it works, right? Yeah, I can tell everybody that the keys work. Yeah, you know, and then he's like, okay, that will be, you know, $88 zillion. I'm like, here, I will pay you, right? Yeah. And I mean, we're able to do that. We're not like, hey, you know, um, are you interested in any of this stuff we have around? You can take that with you. No, we're able to pay. And so we're, we're good, but we need to ask the question as a church, are we getting the whole job done? And so as the budget comes out last week and we talk about what it will take to take our church to the next level in terms of our ministries, and we want to focus on getting people connected in communities, and we want to focus on making sure that our youth have something specifically designed for them that attempts to reach them, and that our children's ministry is focused on sharing the gospel and doing it well and with excellence, we need to make sure that we prioritize that. We've heard that somewhere between $750, $750 a week in increased giving 
You know, if we if we say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this up, or I'm gonna I'm gonna earn more and stretch and donate, that will take us to a place where we are able to say we are living out our convictions with regard to sharing the gospel, with regard to discipling our children, with regard to reaching the crowd around us. He introduces Phoebe. She is in this city for a reason. She's a servant of the church, and he says, support her and help her and get her whatever she needs. She has been generous. Be generous with her. Paul reminds us at the very beginning of this chapter that the question that we need to ask when we think about the community is, are we getting the job done? Do we know him? And based on what we know of him, know of Jesus, are we making him known? And he keeps the main thing, the main thing, sharing the gospel. I think that's good news. Second, I want you to notice this. As we, as we go into this chapter, um, Paul, I think, prioritizes the fact that the church as a community is supposed to know each other. They're supposed to know each other, right? Paul lists this huge list of names that he, of people that he knows are in Rome and who are in the church, right? Which means that he kept up communication and he also had interacted with all these people and he remembered their names, right? The church is to know Jesus, yes, and to make him known, but the goal is to be gathering people into this big family of people who are accomplishing the mission, but also loving, supporting, caring for, and enjoying one another. Paul introduces Phoebe, but he also has a whole giant list of people that he knows and he's worked with. And, and these are the people whose names would appear in the credits of the church, right? You know, as, as the work is, is being done, and, and, and the work is being evaluated, and the film comes to a close, and they roll the credits. These are all the names of the people who make the church go and who, who make things happen. It's interesting. I need to take a drink here, sorry. It's interesting to, to, to listen to other pastors and to talk to them about the struggles that they're going that, that, are, that, are, that, that they're dealing with in their churches, and I hear them say things like, well, I can't get anyone to do anything. I can't get anybody in my church to do anything. Uh, a number of years ago, one of our leaders said this, well, nobody does anything around here anymore, and Jerry uh, made a list of all the names of all the people, and then all the things that could get done, and then he put a mark under each one, you know, this is Jerry, you know, he's the accountant numbers guy. And so it was like, who hands out bulletins and who collects offerings and who cleans stuff up and who does this and who does that? And all of a sudden we saw that lots of people are doing all kinds of stuff. I don't remember what number, you came up with some big number of like work units or whatever it was, of, of things that were happening. It was, it's, it's hard to quantify, but lots of people are doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, earlier this week, right, uh, Linda came in here to decorate the church, right? Linda, it doesn't look nice, yeah. And this army of people showed up with her, right? You know, and they were all here. And so, you know, somebody will say, who decorated the church? You know, Linda and her army showed up and accomplished the task. A community gets things done, right? I think we tend to think of, of Paul 
or Timothy, or Titus, or Peter, or John, or James, accomplishing the work of ministry. But here's what happens is a community is created, and a community accomplishes the work of being a community together. I brought this up last week. Wasn't it fun, if you were here for the tailgate party, to be out there and to be running around or eating a hamburger, talking to somebody? You know, not running, eating a hamburger, but, you know, just, just enjoying presence and spending time with each other and getting to know one another. It's important. People say things at times like, I don't really know anybody. Make the time to get to know people. When we say, introduce yourself to someone that you don't know, actually do that. My friend Doug said to me uh, a, a number of years ago that the most important thing about someone is their name. Now, I don't think he was talking in the grand global sense of you know, what's most important to somebody, because I'm thinking, when he said this, I'm thinking breathing's pretty important to me. You know, like I, I care less about my name than I do about breathing. Anyway, let's, let's just, let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here. He said, when you remember someone's name and you say, oh, your name is Keith, right? You demonstrate to them that they have value and that they were worth remembering and that they are a somebody. Where should that be more true than the church? Right? It should be absolutely positively in true in the church that we are somebody. You have been redeemed, bought out of slavery by Christ, adopted by God, given the Holy Spirit, given gifts by him for the accomplishment of his work and his will in the world, and you have been brought into a family where you are a somebody. People have names and identities and families and struggles family is built on knowing who each other are there are 17 greets in this section here verses 3 to 16 where paul is listing and showing to the romans yes they know who i am you know me you know the gospel that i preach you know, but also demonstrating that I am part of your family because I know your family. I know who you are, right? He's listing off these names and he's saying, say hi to these people. At the tail end of the gospel, right? The, the gospel is that, that men and women have sinned against God and broken their relationship with him. And then that God is willing to fix that, right, by giving Christ, that he is giving righteousness and he is repairing the broken relationship, at the end of this entire come to Christ message is a family. That we're inviting people to be part of a family. And this is what I think has made so many people frustrated or bitter about uh, the style of evangelism that, that many Christians practice is that the, 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 the presentation is something like, believe this truth and now I will go away. And you will be left with the truth that you believe, that I urge you to believe. Where I believe what Paul does, what Paul sets up here is someone saying, this is a message about God's love for you. And now I'm inviting you to be part of my life. Now I'm inviting you to be part of my family. 
Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So he's like, we weren't about money. We weren't telling you how amazing you were. You know, we weren't trying to manipulate you. We, we weren't trying to, to heap up praise for ourselves. We could, have, we could have done that, but we didn't. He says this, but we were gentle among you. And here's a family image, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. It's true that God loves men and women and he calls them into relationship with him. Ephesians 2.4 says, because of the great love with which God loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. But the end goal or end result of that is that there would be this family of people who are knitted together by the truth and the gospel, who love one another. All those commands in the New Testament that, that have the word one another after them are designed to be lived out in the context of a family of God. Paul lists a number of people in this category here. I think this is, this is so interesting. He talks about Prisca, that's Priscilla, that's probably like a, a pet name for her, a shortened nickname. Um, uh, he talks about Prisca and Aquila, his fellow workers, and then he says they risked their necks for my life, right? This is not a metaphor, Right? Have you ever heard anyone say, I stuck my neck out for that person, or I, I risked my neck for them? You know, nowadays we could ask, did they actually? Did you actually stick your neck out? Because in Paul's day, you know, when you stuck your neck out for someone, when you risked your neck, they actually took swords and cut people's heads off in those days. Right? Like this is not a metaphor here. He's not saying, you know, that they that they they took a tremendous financial risk for you know, or they believed in me when no one else did. You know, their reputation could have suffered. No, I think what he's saying is like, like I could have died and they stepped in my place and saved my life somehow. They risked their necks. They almost died for him. This isn't fluff. This isn't like, you know, if you've, if you've ever seen any of these mugs, right, you know, on a, on a shelf that say, world's best dad. If there's more than one mug, right, that invalidates the whole message, doesn't it? Right? You know, like, and, and, and so it's sweet when you get that, like, you know, dad, you know, greatest dad. You get that and you're like, yes, you know, someone somewhere thinks I'm doing a good job because they made my kid buy this T-shirt. <laughs> Joke. No, when you, thanks guys, um, when, when you, he's not being fluffy here. He's saying they risked their necks. They risked their lives for me. He says, greet the church in their house. The church gathered in a community in their home. And there were people there who were family. And when they gathered to worship the Lord, they always went there and they supported and loved one another. Going back to the main thing, talking about Epinetus here, 
Um, by the way, if you are ever nervous and you think, like, I couldn't have read chapter 16 with all those words and names in there, here's the key to reading, right? You just make up a pronunciation and you go with it. And don't let anyone know for a minute that you even question that you pronounced it correctly. And everyone will think, oh, he knows how to pronounce all those names. Eponitis, Eponitis, Epinitis, who knows? I don't know. Um, it's, it, it'd probably be fun to listen to the Bible app read the names. I wonder if they're programmed in there, if it would just mangle them. Eponitis is the first convert, Paul says. He's the first convert to Christ in Asia, which is not where Rome is. Rome is, is in the Roman Empire, and Asia's over, over here. Rome's over here, and this person had come to Christ and then moved and, and changed locations and was now over there. And Paul's like, that's the first guy who came to Christ. He's focusing on stories of life change and remembering that the gospel is about being brought from death to life. As a family of God, we need to remember that this is about showing people Jesus and then celebrating life change. Not celebrating how many people we've got. Not celebrating how incredible and awesome we are. Not celebrating how fancy we are, how well we do things, or how excellent our music is. All these things are good and they're important. But what's most important is that in the story of who we are, we're able to say there were people who did not know Christ who came to know him, whose lives were changed and transformed. What's exciting about this family Right? Unlike biological families, you talk to a lot of biological families, you know, this was the question that was asked for us, like, are you going to go for the girl? You know, <laughs> no. Family, done. Right? You know, we got our crew here. Right? And, and, and now the expansion of the family is shut down. Right? You know, we are not acquiring any more children. But within the family of God, there is always room for more. There's always room for more. Until Christ returns, we will be looking for his family, whom he's calling to himself. And so we're to be going to other people and saying, here is the message of the good news about Christ. You need to be reconciled to God. Now come and join my family. Come and join his family. Come and learn about him. And it's not easy to do. Verse 6, Paul says, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. I think it's interesting that, that you have this giant list of Gentile names and there's one Jewish name in the bunch, I'm pretty sure. Just Mary who's, who's there. And I don't think this is Mary the mother of Jesus or you know, Mary the uh, sister of Lazarus. And I don't think this is Mary of Magdalene. I think this is another Mary. You know, you've got three Marys in the New Testament. You know, they're very unoriginal with their names. It's Mary, 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 you know, named after Miriam, Moses' sister. And so here is another Mary who is in Rome. And what Paul says is she has worked hard. The gospel is God working through people. God working to 
call people to himself. Spreading the gospel, discipling people, is God working through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit through human beings to reach other human beings. And many times I think people will say things like, well, you know, we just need to let go and let God. And that is true, I would say, 50% of the time. But once we let go and let God, then we need to work hard. You look at Paul's life. You look at the list of things that he suffered and that he went through for the advancement of the gospel. It was not easy. It was not easy for him. He suffered and he worked hard. And the family, all the list of the names of the people who appeared in the credits worked hard hard as well. They gave and they traveled and they spoke and they risked so that other people would come to know Christ. They also suffered. Look at Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. Paul is either speaking figuratively here about them being brothers or these are Jews who have Greek names because they didn't live in Jerusalem. They lived in some other place. But he also calls them my fellow prisoners. They suffered for the gospel. They had been jailed for preaching the message. They had paid a personal cost for what they believed, whether it was among their family or whether it was a political cost that they paid. I think it's also interesting that he points out here, he says they're well known to the apostles. They had a good reputation among the church, among Jesus' original followers, those, those 11 guys, right? They, they, they were well known, but they were also in Christ before Paul. Right? And so think about it. Paul isn't just this singularly talented guy who just pops up out of nowhere and is suddenly like, I'm going to get jailed for Jesus, and I'm going to get punished, and I'm going to write letters, and I'm going to know all this theology, and I'm going to build the church. Paul didn't just come out of nowhere embarrassing the rest of us for 2,000 years. Like, why can't we be more like this guy? He says, they were in Christ before me. And then he says, they're my fellow prisoners. They're my kinsmen. There were mentors who poured into Paul's life and who taught him and served as examples. This has got to be 18, 20 years ago. Nancy was on the phone with one of her friends, and she was like, uh, yeah, we're going over to our friend's house for dinner, Rudy and Marilyn. And Nancy's friend said, what kind of names are Rudy and Marilyn? I've never met anybody with those names, you know? And she was like, oh, they're our friends from church. She was like, oh, okay. And Nancy's like, yeah, they're older. She was like, why are you hanging out with people who are old? We're like, they've got so much to teach us. They were fun, and they were enjoyable to be around. But man, you know, they told, told us things and taught us things that just, I think, took us light years ahead of where we were at that, at that time. Um, I, was, I was sitting in their living room and uh, my pastor uh, at the time, Mike, was there. Uh, actually, now I'm doubting whether or not we were present for this, but we were all together once at Rudy and Marilyn's house. Okay, so this story may be conflated. I'll, I'll fix it. I'll find out the truth. Mike 
was looking at the wedding album, Rudy and Marilyn, and he looked at a picture of Marilyn and he said, Rudy, he said, look at Marilyn. She's beautiful here. She's beautiful. And Rudy said, she still is. Right? Pause and hold that, right? Then Marilyn walked in the room and Mike just repeated what he said, right? And he said, Marilyn, you were beautiful in these photos. All kinds of things that we absorbed from mentors and from people who are older than us. But you don't get that if you're just ignoring the fact that the church is a family and that this is just about your devotion to Christ or your church experience, right? It's an invitation in to a family. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Trephania, Tryphosa, Tryptophan. Moving on, it's the only reason I even brought that up. Um, <laughs> verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. I think this is so interesting. Mark 15, 21 introduces Simon of Cyrene as the father of Rufus, somebody who is known in the church, right? Rufus is chosen in the Lord. What, what I think is interesting is we don't know anything about this guy's story, right? We don't know if chosen in the Lord means that, that Simon of Cyrene carried the cross for Jesus and then went to his boys and said, whoa, you have no idea what just happened, but we need to follow up on this. And if, if, if Rufus had always known from the moment of Jesus' resurrection. We don't know. We don't know if, if Rufus perhaps had heard the truth and wandered and then had come to Christ in some dramatic way at some time and, and the people said, that guy, there was nothing he could do to run away from this. Like His dad carried Jesus' cross and God ran him down and brought him into his family. He is chosen and there is no way to resist it. We don't know. We don't know what his story is. But there he is. Greet Rufus. We don't know what each other's stories are unless we know each other's stories, you know? And I'll tell you what, this is what I've learned. I get a bird's eye view into people's lives. I get, when, when it comes to doing weddings, doing funerals, I got all these pictures, right, of, of people enjoying the happiest moments of their lives, right? Whether it's standing here saying vows or standing in some other place. And I'm always kind of like obscured by the photographer. They're focused on the bride and the groom, you know, and they're not like, let's frame that guy in the back. And so often here's the bride looking amazing, right? And my head is like obscured by her. I'm just, I'm, I'm here. I'm just in the moment. And I get to see amazing things. I get to hear people tell their stories of, of how they came to faith and how they have persevered through difficulty and how they've trusted and I hear their struggles as they are uniting their lives with, with someone else and, and what's going to happen over the, the you know their, their fears and concerns and, and the struggles that they've come through and, and all these amazing things. This is, this is what I think is important. As we live our life together, we're going to hear these 
stories of, of faith, and we ought to celebrate them and enjoy them and say, look at what this person has come through, look at what God has done, and celebrate that as a victory. We have no idea what Rufus's story is, what his struggles were, but we know that the Lord chose him and called him to himself. Something else that's interesting, going back to the idea of mentors, it says that his mother was a mother to Paul. Think about when Paul says that for Christ he suffered the loss of all things. Right? Do we, do we just think that means, like, stuff, money? You know, they didn't have cars. They didn't have uh, the kinds of houses that we have today. They didn't have the kinds of stuff that we have today. Like, he's not talking about his Christmas ornaments and his pictures. You know, none of that stuff had been invented yet. Paul says he suffers the loss of all things. Does that mean that his family rejected him when he came to Christ? Or perhaps his father and his mother abandoned him, and he speaks here of Rufus's mother and says that she has been a mother to me as well. Think about that, that the apostle Paul needed to be mommed, right? You look thin, Paul. Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Eat, right? Just sit and eat. Well, I got to go do this. Just, just relax, right? You don't have to save the whole world, Paul. You are not Jesus, right? You're just an ambassador of him. You need to take care of yourself. And then you can go live the mission, right? We need people like that around us, don't we? Who pull us aside and say, how are you really doing? Are you all right? Paul moves on from greeting brothers and sisters to give a warning. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Paul says a very similar thing in 1 Timothy 1.3. He says, I urged you, he's talking to Timothy when I was leaving for Macedonia, stay at Ephesus, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. What he's saying is that within every group that teaches the truth, there are always troublemakers. The characteristic of troublemakers in this case is that they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And then Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.5, and I think this is so important because it is so easy to miss. He says, the aim of our charge, he says, Timothy, as a pastor, the focus of our ministry is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, look back up at, at Romans 16. He says this, avoid people who cause controversy. Those people don't serve the Lord, but their own appetites. And by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And then he speaks to the church and he says, your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. This is so important. As Paul is closing down, he says, here is this amazing family that I know. Now let me warn you about something. Good doctrine produces a certain behavior. The right preaching of the truth, I believe, will create in people an overflow 
of genuine, real love. And that comes out of the fact that their hearts have been purified. It comes out of the fact that they have a clear conscience and that their faith is sincere. That's 1 Timothy 1, 5. And what he's saying here is that what these people do who come in and cause divisions and create obstacles, they split the church into camps who believe this or believe that, you know, that, that Paul's doctrine is better than Peter's doctrine and that, you know, that this one's doctrine isn't Jesus' doctrine and it's splitting and causing all kinds of divisions. He says the gospel, the good news, ought to result in loving behavior. Dividers serve their own appetites. They have a desire for conflict or to feel smart or to feel better or to feel exclusive. And so what they do is they come in with smooth talk and flattery and they distract from the mission, which the mission can be summarized in two simple commands, right? There is the Great Commission, which is to make disciples, to tell people God loves them and they can recover that loving relationship by repenting and putting their faith and trust in Christ and that they're to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and their neighbor as themselves. So much of the criticism that is leveled against Christians and churches, I believe, is a distraction from the mission. It is easy to criticize other people. It is hard to wait in faith and to speak boldly and confidently and at great risk to someone else about Jesus. That's difficult. To turn our attention to those who need to hear the gospel and to speak is much harder than gossiping or criticizing. Paul says, watch out for these kinds of divisions. I think that the story of the woman who went up to Mr. Moody, D.L. Moody, the, the great evangelist, who some people have an issue with the way that he shared the gospel and the things that he said, uh, who has done a great work of evangelism without being criticized by others. The woman said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you do evangelism. And he said, well, you tell me how you do it. She said, well, I don't. To which he responded, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. And we can rejoice in the wittiness of that, but I think the point is that obedience, that faithfulness or remembering the mission is what's important. What Paul was proud of is the fact that they had earned a reputation in Rome, not as the reputation of the Galatian church or the reputation of the Corinthian church, but the reputation that they had earned was one of obedience that they heard the words of the Lord and they said, we are going to live that out because the Great Commission is to teach people to observe all that Jesus commanded them. Verses 21 to 23, more greetings. Timothy, Paul's son in the Lord, a fellow worker, his kinsman, Tertius, who wrote the letter, who served as a scribe and a helper to Paul. I find this so interesting. In a day and age where people struggle with identity, right? They, they feel like 
they lose their purpose. So many men lose their purpose when they are no longer able to work, right? And here is Paul, who is obviously what? No longer able to write. Some people say that uh, he, may have, he may have struggled with chronic eye problems. At one point he says, see, I write with large letters, right? You know, imagine how much paper he would have had to use in order to write a simple communication, much easier to get somebody else with smaller handwriting to do it. Save money and time, perhaps. Tertius writes the letter, keeping Paul in the game. One team, one family writing to another. This is what I think we have forgotten, perhaps, as a church. A church in a town, a church in a region, a church in a state, a church in a nation, and the church in the world. Many times we view other churches in our geographic area as our competition and not as fellow team members. What do conversations about other churches devolve into, right? Comparison of pastors, comparison of music, of programs, of population. Oh, your church is bigger? Obviously, your pastor is compromising the truth, right? We hear those kinds of things. Instead of saying, let's band together and be part of a family, what if, as a church, we said, let's set our goal on reaching as many new believers as we can over the next five years so that we can raise up as many servants and leaders and workers as possible so that we could evangelize the entire Eastern Shore? What if that was our goal? What if we said other churches aren't our competition because we're not interested in stealing people from other churches and drawing them in and, and just having a great big party that we enjoy every single week? Instead, we said our goal is the completion of the Great Commission. And so we're going to raise up workers to transmit this message because we are all family and we're interested in expanding God's family. Paul built a team around the mission. And he's reminding this other team, this other family, to focus on the mission as well. And then he closes and says, Now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ, amen. This is the good news of the gospel, that weak people can receive strength. That, that, that the true blessing of faith is being able to say, if I'm not able to get it all done, and I'm not, that God gives strength. Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so Paul says, according to the good news, the core, and according to the preaching of Jesus, that Jesus is the promise, that he is the solution to our problem, that he is our righteousness, that when Paul says, put on the armor of light, he's not talking about some mystical thing that needs to be prayed on. He's talking about Jesus there in that passage, that Jesus coming is the hope for our future, 
that he is the model servant, that he is our brother, and he is our friend, and he is our Lord and Savior. Paul's saying, according to these two things, we embrace the purpose for which we were created. God is in the middle of telling his big story. He's speaking these words to all nations, right? The doors are open that all people may know the truth, but all people don't know the truth because we've not yet told them the truth. And so we need to get to work and be about the task of sharing this good news throughout all nations. Paul says, according to the command of the eternal God. What is the command? To love him and to love others. Why do we share this? He then goes on to say, to bring about the obedience of faith. This is what Paul proclaimed in Romans. This is what he taught in Romans, and it is all for one purpose. He says, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore. What we ought to do as we draw people in and we support them and love them is that together we look to the Lord and we praise him and we say he is the reason that this is all happening. He is the one who we say he accomplished it. He did it by his grace and for his glory. And he does it through Jesus Christ. He is the perfect image of God's love and God's incredible humility and his amazing service and his undeserved mercy. And so as we close Romans, the answer to every question is simple. Do we want to persevere to the end? We look to Jesus. Do we want to share the good news faithfully with people? We talk about Jesus. Do we want to succeed as a church in all that we do? We focus on Jesus. Do we want to help the nations of the world? Let's bring them water and good medical care and food and education and power and all these things. But as we do it, let's bring them Jesus. He is the focus of all that God is doing and ought to be the focus of all that we do as well. Let's pray we close. Father, we thank you for this word from your word, and I pray that as the credits roll in our lives on Romans, that as we consider the work of Paul, as we consider this letter, we would focus on the fact that he accomplished his purpose in writing to them. He told them about righteousness that comes from you as a gift. That righteousness comes as Jesus, the gift of Jesus. Let us remember all your many benefits and praise you for them. And let us remember as well the fact that you create families, that you gather together groups, that you draw the church together for the purpose of being your family and working out your will in the world. And may we never forget that you are the founder of the family. You are the one who draws us together. May we enjoy and delight in you and give you all the praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.